right, take two. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you all. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we take you back through the lengths and breadths of history and show you uh, all of the mistakes, or most of the big mistakes made in human history and give you lessons so that you never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. They're fun and delicious. Uh, joining me as ever... <laughs> It's Derek. How are you doing, Derek? I'm doing pretty good. Just noticed that I look quite a, a lot like Uncle Fester with a beard. <laughs> you, you don't I, look like I haven't looked at myself lately without a hat on. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah, you do normally wear hats. That's that's fair, actually. Yes. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, how has your week been? How are things over in Arizona? Um, they're They're pretty good. The gas prices are going up, so people are staying mm. in more, like me. And yeah, I mean, good. you know, the same way it is all around the world with everything that's going on. It just kind of feels like a bit. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we get it. We we did actually, you know, before we went into kind of researching today's episode, we did discuss like, should we go into detail about what's going on the situation in Ukraine and Vladimir Putin being a prick and, and all of that stuff, and like. It's, um, you know, that there there's a lot of coverage of it, understandably so, because it's one of those momentous moments in, in history. And we are a history channel, and we're supposed to cover great idiots, and we may get to Vladimir Putin in time. But uh, A, I want to wait, wait until he's dead, because I don't want to be assassinated. And uh, B, um, I feel like the world, um, there's enough coverage of it, and I'm not sure how much value we could add in that moment we could express like our sadness because you know it's a terrible situation but ultimately i think another thing the world needs to do is kind of um not focus too much on it in a morbid way because people have a sense to be brought down by these things to an intense level and i think as the people we are it's up to us to kind of provide a little bit of levity in the situation and bit of light release so uh yeah that's that's kind of what we're focusing on and we we kind of i think we're kind of on a similar page where it's okay to do the stuff we're doing and not go into too much detail on the uh, current war right so, I'll, yeah. I'll give you uh, 30 seconds hit me with your thoughts on what's going on in the ukraine ah dude it's it's a shit show and it's upsetting it yeah i don't know i'm I look at this the same way or similar to the way that I looked at us going into Iraq when we shouldn't have mm. and didn't have no business to do it. And yeah, I went on an anti-war march for that. And, yeah. Uh, not a lot of good that did. Well, I I don't think that uh, the rest of the world is like the super good guy, but I know that Russia is not a good guy in this, so for it's kind of... Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it sucks. It it sucks, and it it sucks that the best thing to do is not to get involved unless they move one inch further, which sounds really familiar to shit that happened in history. Yeah, th th it's funny. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, if you don't learn the lessons from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. But if you don't study history, then you're going to replicate it. So uh, it's, it feels like a lot of the people who have maybe not even looked back the last hundred years, uh, maybe kind of not seeing this from the perspective that it should be viewed. But anyway, it's, yeah. 
it's a dark, dark day. I sincerely hope this isn't going to go further. I hope Vladimir Putin, um, at his age the year that he is, 69 years old, and the fact that it's taken him eight days and he's still not won this war, even though he drastically outnumbers the enemy, I, I feel like he's he's probably not going to go any further. He'd be stupid to do that because he would be demolished. Um, but I think yeah. from a current perspective it's it's best for us to kind of yeah we've we've said that we've discussed it but let's not focus too much on the horrifying situation in the war in ukraine because you know we don't want to get people down well there's enough horrible shit going on there has been for the last three years really so i feel like i might need to adjust on the fly with the person i picked because it's not related to the war in ukraine but it's not as funny as i wanted it to be no no no, it's actually pretty horrible (laughs) It's it's okay. It doesn't it doesn't have to be out and out funny. The 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 humor comes from the realization of the idiocy. Ultimately, that's what we do in this podcast. So I think um, go ahead with the person that you've got, especially as as you told me, it's International Women's Month, and this this person is uh, of the female gender persuasion. Uh, yes. Whatever. Yep. So and- yeah. I bounced around between a few of them. I almost did sure. Anna Chapman, which was the oh, Russian spy. Point. And then I was like, I'm yes. not going to screw with that right now. <laughs> that was probably a good decision. Ultimately. And um, yeah, I, I settled on 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 this lady here. Um, okay. is, is that the right? That's the right word. This woman, this sure. young woman, okay. as it turns out, she started life and went through it and ended it quite young. But mm-hmm. um just start at the beginning here. So she was born on the 7th of October in 1923 in the free state of Mecklenburg Sturlitz, which was a state in the, um, is it Weimar Republic? Yes, that's that right. A, yeah, that's yep. it. Absolutely. Was, yeah. That was, that was the state that was established in 1918 following the German revolution that happened before that. Uh, okay (laughs) um her parents berta and alfred were both dairy workers and she was the third of five children in 1936 her mother berta committed suicide in what i can only imagine was like totally horrific way to go out she drank hydrochloric acid oh my god yeah holy Um, shit I, I'm seeing there's no nothing on it on whether or not she found her mom or how that happened, but just the whole horrificness of it. And it was all due to her finding about about her husband Albert's or Alfred's affair with the local pub owner's daughter. Oh no, that's really horrible. So yeah, and that's she's 13 at the time in 1936. The the person so, you're covering, yeah. Yes, and okay. so her mom offs herself in gruesome fashion. And she's in 1936 Germany. And then in 1937, her father Alfred joined the Nazi party. Oh. And as her only living parent, you might figure she learned from and followed his ideology, right? It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. She did. And then she took it like way further. He was a Nazi. I, I don't really know how much further that can go, but all right. That's wow. Before her 18th birthday, she had become a volunteer member of the SS and moved Mm. to the SS female helpers training base that was located near the uh, 
Ravensbrook. Yeah, Ravensbrook. Yeah, female correct uh, concentration camp. And once she was done with her training there, she volunteered to work there. Mm. Um, it wasn't <sighs> long after that that she was promoted to uh, Aufen, Auf, uh, a guard or an overseer. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my my German's horrible. It's, for it's my last German's name. a funny language. German. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it, well. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because German, like the 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 words that they use, like hospital is Kraken House. It just yeah. makes sense because crack That's, house, uh, not not crack house, but Kraken. <laughs> you know, you've cracked your leg, and uh, uh, an ambulance is called a Kraken wagon. So, oh, so this would be, Ofenseerin. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's a siren. So she, okay, carry on. She's a guard at the Ravensbrook, and in March of 1943, she was promoted again. And I say mm. promoted with the quotey around mm. it. Um, she moved up to be another guard, or like the third highest she could be, and was oh. transferred to Auschwitz. Oh. Um, now, this is where, when I said she took it way further, um, mm. due to her transfer, she had a falling out with her father, and while he was a member of the Nazi party, he vehemently opposed her joining the SS entourage and expelled her from the house. So she, Wow. She was... Yeah, which I think could get you in trouble. I feel like it could. I feel like at if this point, she were an SS man, he would have been in trouble. Yeah. yeah, I feel like she's probably got enough high-powered allies at this point to fuck with him if she needed to, and she's a Nazi, so that's kind of a thing. So, yeah. Jesus. Well, she was busy at Auschwitz uh, doing things that led her to be one of the youngest women to die judicially under British law in the 20th century at the age of 22. Jeez. Um, in 1944, okay. she was moved to rapper report foreign or uh, second highest rank of female concentration camp ah, wardens. OK, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, sure. I am crap at this today. Uh, no, no, no. Don't worry. I've got a bunch of uh, pharmaceutical things and I've just gone with the abbreviation. So don't worry about it. I wasn't wow, that was smart. Them. Super ah, smart. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what after she gets this rank, uh, she starts. Uh, a posting where she participates in prisoner selections for gas chambers. Oh, God. And she uh, systematically tortures and beats and is just a generally bad person to prisoners during the whole time. But then in early 1945, she was accompanying a prisoner evacuation transport from Auschwitz back to Ravensbrück and was captured by the British Army on the 17th of April, 1945, along with the other SS personnel who didn't flee. So there was like 45 of them that oh, ended up at the Belsen trial. Oh, yes. Now, very famous trial. And um, some of the people waiting the trial, I might be wrong with this, didn't actually make it to the trial because they took surreptitiously hidden cyanide capsules so uh, that was yeah. the thing yeah mm -hmm. um so she was one of the people that were there not one of the ones that took the cyanide capsules no. but the ac accusation against her centered around that ill treatment and murder and picking out people to stick in gas chambers yeah and the survivors actually provided some detailed testimony um where one of them even went into how she beat women using um, 
a, a plated whip. Uh, sorry, a plated a plated whip, like P L A I T E D. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, can't Jeez. speak English oh. either. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I get what you mean, but my brain, for some reason, in that moment, went to a whip with plates on it. So I, I don't know why that right. was. As in, like you know, dinnerware. Uh, <laughs> kind of a fucking whip, is that? That uh, that is a much more entertaining and slightly yeah. less horrifying. That whip. sounds like a Greek whip. That sounds like the kind of thing a Greek <laughs> restaurant would create. Like, uh, yeah, sorry. We're making light of terrible situations, oh. but that's where my brain went. It went weird. Sorry. Hey, uh, I, hey you know what? There's nothing that uh, stops the horror so good as a good laugh. For fun, a minute, yes. anyway. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, so horrible. Uh, plated whip. Yeah, Jeez. anyway, so during the trial, she was labeled as the beautiful beast and appeared mm -hmm. alongside the SS Joseph uh, Kramer, the Beast of Belsen, mm -hmm. and former commandant of the Birkin now. Was that right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now, again, wandering into horribly dark comedy, mm. I feel like they missed out an opportunity here to, to have the Beauty and the Beast. Instead of calling her the Beautiful Beast, they could have just yeah. done the whole Beauty and the Beast thing, and then I guess maybe they would have been making light of it, though. I, I guess like you can't like when it comes to Nazis, you can't be too complimentary because anyone that's done that through history, and rightly so, has gotten themselves into hot water. Like um, uh, who's the guy from Roxy Music? Um, God, I can't remember oh. his name. Anyway, uh, Brian Ferry, something like that. Anyway, he said that oh, those Nazis, they oh, those uniforms, they had style. It's like, dude. Oh man, Hugo Boss, he used like <laughs> slave labor to make that shit. What's wrong with you? Uh, yeah. So yeah, like whenever anyone is complimentary about anything, like, oh Hitler built the built the motorways. Like no, he did. It was he went on to do much awful things. Fuck the motorways, you know. Yeah, um, and the pharaohs built the, the pyramids too. Yeah, exactly. Like, nothing to yeah, do with any enforced labor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like it, it's uh, calling her the beauty. At that time, they wouldn't do. They would not have had that. The beautiful beast, sure. I actually think if they wanted to be harsh, they would have said something like, eh, "She's all right." Yeah, the moderately attractive <laughs> beast. You know, like, she thinks she's all that, right? Maybe she, they should have just gone amazing. with the lady beast. The lady she beast. That's that's she like she beast. She beast. That is a name for a fucking metal band right there. Um, but yeah. Uh, the beauty, the beautiful beast. Yeah, they should have gone with like she beast or something like that. That would have been, yeah, metal. Anyway, sorry, and, carry on. The anyway, beautiful so, beast and the straight up beast. Yeah, and they go on trial, and it lasts nine weeks, and wow. she was sentenced to death by hanging. And yeah. although the charges against some of the other female warders, uh, there was total of like sixteen of them charged. Uh, were just as serious. She was one of only three female guards that were sentenced to death. Uh, so do you think they went easier on the women guards? Maybe, maybe. I guess, like, it's hard to know with the Nazi structure because, you know, that they had so many different levels and stratas and stuff, and I've never really looked into it. But I, I wonder if because of the society at the time, the female guards had less involvement and less inclusion in some of the activities, and therefore they were given lesser sentences or if it's just the justice system being lighter on women than it is on men sometimes and it's hard to know really i guess um i think it might be because she was higher rank and it seems like sure. the other two were also of higher rank that engaged right, okay. in activities like picking out the people and sure yeah so they're the ones that instigated 
some of the horrible massacres and other people were kind of press ganged into doing it or well probably quite willing to do it but yeah i get i get the point that's why she was sentenced to death so yeah um she her she tried to appeal but it was rejected and you're a nazi what the fuck are you doing appealing <laughs> there's no appeal. like well i had a mortgage to pay what do you expect i like, know you murdered people you don't get to appeal that shit sorry she thought she actually didn't think it was a gas chamber she believed the hype um, what did she maybe? think it was they aren't uh, coming out maybe you know? she thought they left on the other side maybe she thought it was a fucking magic trick oh my god She's anyway, like, she, sorry. She loves Davy Blaine. Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, on the 13th of December, 1945, she was executed by long drop mm. hanging, which is Ooh. sounds horrific. It uh, is horrific. Although, actually, in a way, compared to other forms of hanging, particularly a few hundred years earlier, it's much more humane because on impact, your neck snaps and you die, right? Whereas some of the shorter drops people dangled with partially broken necks and slowly suffocated over like a 10 20 minute period which is a horrible way to die horrible yeah but i mean yeah. so is the thing she did so, oh god I mean... a million times worse you know oh jesus so anyway yeah. at the ripe old age of 22 uh that ends the story of the hyena of auschwitz the hyena uh, of irma, auschwitz wow irma Griech. A Nazi concentration cramp camp guard and a volunteer member of the SS. I mean, that's just it's anything to do with um, the Holocaust in the Second World War. It's so dark. There is nothing there that comes out other than the the Oscar Oscar Schindler stuff, which you know kind of debatable about how much of that is accurate from the film but like there are like moments of amazing humanity that where people save jews but the actual camps themselves there is very little light in there it's it's just absolute horror perpetuated by people who were brainwashed into believing a terrible ideology oh, from yeah. a really impotent horrible little man um and that's that's the the thing that that kills me that kind of moved me on to doing Irma Greece instead mm. of um Raja the one coin lady or yeah. Anna Chapman is sure. I I kind of watched uh Munich The Edge of War wow. yeah and that oh. was a it was a really good movie and it kind mm. of showed like a a god really scary oh mm. god that feels really familiar <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing yeah. and so yeah i wanted to do a, a female a woman in woman's history and then that drove me that way so. yeah <laughs> i also feel that there's a, there's a part of this and I, I mean it's easy for anyone to get swept up in ideology right we've covered this before like people get brought into cults they buy into you know especially with um a theory where you're surrounded by media that tell you a certain narrative and then you eventually buy into that narrative because you are completely engulfed in it right right uh, uh even in this country that happens you know the ultra right wing media will engulf people very easily and over in the states as well you know that's why people are so divided but i feel that because she was so young at a time when nazi germany was uh, when she was 13 and she lost her mother that's a huge blow to your psyche at that time and then you are surrounded by all this evil propaganda and ideology and it's it's very very 
easy for someone that age to be swept up in a world of horrifying violence because the thing that people never talk about well don't really talk about is that um unfortunately having power over people and control and being violent in some instances can become addictive uh, yeah you know and that certainly has played into the twisted psyche of the german nation in the 1930s and 40s when they were they felt you know repressed because of the the stuff that came out of world war one but that's terrible 22 years old to have done all of that horrible stuff been involved in the murder of probably thousands of people that's just gross so yeah in terms of scoring um i'm happy to give her a a, a 93 um pretty much anyone that is involved in a holocaust um i i, I yeah. would have gone higher had she not been so young and uh had not suffered that tremendous trauma you know it's it's kind of it's less acceptable for older people but when she was like 13 and surrounded by trauma and you know what was going on in the nation i can kind of see how she got swept up in it it feels but, like yeah. a very very much perfect storm sort of situation where a traumatic yeah. events looking Absolutely. for belonging everything sucks yeah you've Here's lost your place mother. To go. you need yeah you need someone to nurture you the these people will nurture you they will tell you how great you are they'll they'll promote you they'll tell you that you're doing a great job it's like it it's very um what's the word intoxicating that, yeah. that kind of approach to life so yeah but she murdered people there's no two ways oh, about I, it oh. she handpicked people and this oh i didn't know what was going to happen no i'm sorry i don't buy it most most of the people that were involved in those camps knew exactly what was going on so yeah 93 for the hyena of auschwitz which is uh an amazingly dark name and i wonder if her laughter at people's suffering Ooh. is how she got that name that's Ooh. awful anyway um so yeah 93 uh very high possibly the highest ranking female we've ever had i think certainly higher than um the uh blood more evidence to support lady. it yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly um so so yeah uh moving on from that darkness i've got a slightly less dark tale really interesting but also it's disturbing in a different way okay certainly with the the size of um the scandal and and the the kind of the money involved so let me tell you the story of the girardis hollywood's worst couple okay. so there's two people involved in this so i have to cover kind of their beginnings and then the point at which they meet and and it's there's going to be a lot because there's two people so there's a lot to cover so uh is there a meet cute there is indeed the most adorable <laughs> meet you. Oh my god! Their eyes met across the table, and oh, and you know, Prince right. was playing in the background. Oh my god! <laughs> and then they embezzled. Uh, right. Okay. So let's get into it. Thomas Girardi was born. I say that. Sorry, their eyes met across the room. Her eyesight was significantly better than his because he was thirty-one <laughs> years older than her. Um, Thomas Girardi. <laughs> was born on the 3rd of June, 1939, in Denver, Colorado. Oh. Girardi graduated from Loyola High School, Los Angeles, in 1957. I think his parents uh, moved him there at a certain point during his, like, teenage years. Um, he received his undergraduate degree from Loyola Marymount uh, University in 1961, his JD degree from Loyola Law School in 1964, 
and an LLM from New York University in 1965. So he went over to the East Damn. Coast to study for his. Yeah, this dude is a very qualified lawyer. There's no yeah. two ways about it. He is uh, in the 90s, in the post OJ trial world, he was one of the most high profile lawyers in the world. And we'll get into that in a minute. He fought his first significant case. In, oh, sorry, I've skipped over a bit here. <clears throat> um, in 1965, Girardi set up Girardi and Keese with fellow LA based lawyer Robert Keese. Uh, yeah, so they're both based in Los Angeles and they started to represent um, kind of local clients and stuff, but then they really made it big in 1970 when they won over uh, $1 billion for his clients from the healthcare industry. So um, that's a Dude. shitload of money in 1970. Yeah. Um, he also got a $785 million verdict for toxic tort personal injuries suffered by employees in Lockheed's Skunk Works facilities. That's a terrible name. Um, and a $45.5 million verdict for the defective seatbelt, ren which rendered a six-year-old child paralyzed that was against the Ford Motor Company. So a lot of these um, class action lawsuits, the $1 billion one, the $785 million one, those are like hundreds of people, sometimes uh -huh. thousands in, in the cases. This is uh, that one $45.5 million verdict was like one child, and I think they're like... Their, their parents or whatever so so, it, so he's, he's doing good he's, he's doing brilliant work i cannot okay. stress this this man wins and he wins big you know these no are powerful powerful companies that are being held to account and i fucking love to see it i really do uh girardi has obtained successful settlement deals for his clients against the pharmaceutical giant merck m-e-r-c-k for mm -hmm. personal injuries to consumers of the drug Vioxx, that's V-I-O-X-X, they settled for $4.85 billion. Jesus. Yeah, this guy's good. He's really <laughs> fucking good. He is a very, very competent lawyer, I'll give you that. He also obtained $1.9 billion and $1.7 billion settlements for the Californian consumers who were scammed by the manipulation of natural gas prices. So uh kind of want that to happen now, to be quite honest, because everyone's fucking gas prices are going through the roof. Thanks, Russia, you pricks. Four forty nine um, a gallon. You know, it's it's uh one pound fifty something, fifty-five a liter over here. And if you think there's four liters per gallon, and one pound fifty-five is like two dollars thirty, something like that. So that's that's like eight, that's a eight lot of nine dollars a money. gallon. Fuck me. Jesus. Yeah, I have. This is why I like working remotely indoors. Mm -hmm. um, so um, he was also one of the leading attorneys in the case against Pacific Gas and Electricity, a utility company. The inhabitants of the desert community of Hinkley, California, accused the company of contain uh, contaminating their water source because of a leak uh, in a gas pumping station. It has resulted in numerous cases of cancer and other related diseases. Pacific Gas and Electricity eventually agreed to pay $333 million to 650 residents of the town. The events surrounding the case inspired the 2000 film Aaron Brockovich. Yep, I remember that. That was <laughs> like Julia Roberts won Best Actress. I think some other people won. It won like five or six Academy Awards. It was one of the big films of the yeah. year 2000. I think the other one was... Um, American Beauty, I think that was the other one around. That was a good that movie time. too. Yeah, yeah, that was huge. You were just 
gloss over that, the fact Kevin Spacey was in it. So yeah. That movie is the reason why when you named the company, I thought PG and E. Because yeah, they just kept go. saying it over and over and over again. And I knew exactly <laughs> where you were going with it. Every time yeah. I hear their name, I think of Aaron Brockovich. Exactly. It was a big deal. Anyone, I mean, it's it's difficult for people who weren't around to see the film, but that was a very, very big deal back in 2000. It was one of those prestige Oscar films that you still get now, but uh, people, like, they've just changed a little bit, but you kind of knew that she was gunning for the Oscar, Julia Roberts, and by girl, you know, she got it. Um, and after that, um, after this film was made, Girardi's business exploded in popularity and his clients just like triple tripled in like right. a year. Um, and he had absolutely no problem describing himself to people he met in person as the Aaron Brockovich lawyer, literally everybody <laughs> he met. He was like, hi, I'm the Aaron Brockovich lawyer. And they're like, Oh, you were played by the guy who does all those, those um, documentaries where he voices the things, the baseball documentary. <laughs> oh, it's you. You're that guy. Okay. He's like, yeah, give me your money. Hella marketing. Um, it's very <laughs> smart. He's he's incredibly smart. I'll give him that. Perhaps one of his greatest failures of his career, though, was the attempt to enforce in the U.S. courts a $489 million default judgment entered by a court in Nicaragua against dull food and shell chemicals. A pesticide called uh, DBCP allegedly had catastrophic effects on the exposed workers and they had successfully sued the company in Nicaragua. However, the U.S. courts concluded that the translated documents of the court proceedings in Nicaragua that Girardi and his team submitted were flawed in crucial respects, which I guess it's difficult to translate stuff sometimes, especially with legal language. Holy shit. Um, he and his team received... Official admonishment and Girardi and Keese uh, were ordered to pay a fine for violating their duty of candor to the courts. Now, that's a big loss, right? And I, I kind of guess, like, you have to be very, very careful. The legal profession is very fraught with these things. But, like, translation is difficult, especially when a lot of the legal jargon is in Latin. So, right, you've got, like, multiple different things that you have to be careful with. So, that aside, despite that failure, his firm has recovered, or had recovered in the time it existed, over $10 billion in verdicts and settlements for its clients and the multiple cases that it was running. So, so far, it's pretty good, right? I mean, yeah. there's not really any blemishes. If you were just to read that, you'd be like, this guy is almost saintly in his ability to get money for people that need it or deserve it from right. malpractice or, or deliberate negligence in some cases so good for him makes me super change. interested to see where that changes yeah <laughs> yeah exactly well it's kind of already changing in the background uh girardi was known for his work in democratic party politics donating millions of dollars to campaigns playing a role in fundraising events and giving advice to governors regarding judicial appointments girardi had once served as the president of the international academy of trial lawyers a highly prestigious organization exclusive uh only to 500 trial lawyers in all of the United States. So that's... Oh, sorry, uh, international. So uh, it's really exclusive. Yeah, across the world. (laughs) Really exclusive. Uh, He became the first trial lawyer in history to serve on the Californian Judicial Council, uh, the policymaking body of the Californian courts. He's essentially at this point, because of his high profile and his incredible successes, he has woven himself into the absolute fabric of California's liberal elite. Uh, that is a very powerful group of people. I mean, we're not just talking about 
you know, people talk about Hollywood elites, which is such a broad term. California itself, because of its, or at least until very recently, its incredible economic power, you know, it's like the seventh biggest economy in the world, just the state of California, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, he wove himself into the fabric of that by winning billions of dollars and he rubbed shoulders with some of the most powerful people in history over a 30 year career. So we'll, we'll get into that later, but that's probably one of the reasons he got away with the shit he did for as long as he did. Uh So now let's talk about his other half, his amazing (laughs) wife, uh, Erica Chahoy was born. I think that's it. C H A H O Y. Chahoy, Chahoy, sounds about right. Chahoy, Chahoy was born on July tenth, nineteen seventy-one, in Atlanta, GA. She began performing at the age of three years old, according to Bravo. She learned about music at an early age from her mother, who was a classically trained pianist. She began performing at the age of three years old. Uh, she learned about music. Uh, well, that's that's a repetition. Uh, let me get rid of that. Oh, that's, that's really bad. Where's my proofreading? <laughs> you know, one of uh, this is a quote. There's going to be a bunch of quotes coming in soon from a, a okay. Kiss Ars article, but this is one. You know, one of my special childhood memories is waking up on the weekend and listening to my mother playing downstairs. She told Ace Showbiz in 2009. So we would have all these beautiful class, all the these beautiful classical music. That's wrong in the house and that was such a wonderful feeling so sure she's been an influence on my musical career i mean that's good i actually think that surrounding children with like uh, kind of structure of music you don't necessarily have to be classical music but you give them an understanding of like this is why this works is is right. this amazing this is this is why musicians do this and this is how they make you feel that and and stuff like that Play, like seriously get your kids listening to the Beatles and shit like honestly give them exposure to people like that from a young age and it will spark a, a real imagination because music is the only form of art that bypasses your cynicism and goes straight for your emotions so yeah. so do that from a young age get your kids into music it'll enrich their lives no end don't force them but expose them to it a little bit right um, yeah so while living in New York, um, later on, she met a guy called Thomas Zizzo, uh, who was working as a DJ at a club in Manhattan. Uh, she eventually started working as a go-go dancer and occasional singer in the clubs he DJed at. I guess go-go dancers are like, are they like professional nightclub dancers that keep their clothes on, I guess? Yeah. 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 It's I guess in, in the 70s. Point. You know, you see Austin Powers where they're dancing in the cages. Yes. yes it's I the guess go-go that's dancers. it. Okay, that makes sense. Like, I am aware that, like, nightclubs employ, some nightclubs employ professional dancers. In this country, it's mostly in London and stuff that that aren't, like, strippers or or whatever it is. But, yeah, I just, um, I've never heard of anyone who was a go-go dancer that wasn't, like, 85 years old or something. So, you know? I've never seen one. No, I haven't either. <laughs> I've never seen a professional dancer in a nightclub. I stopped going to nightclubs when I was quite young because I gave up drinking. But yeah, I don't remember when I was going to nightclubs. No. 
<laughs> Apparently, they were professional go-go dancers back in like the late nineties. Um, so the couple married in December nineteen ninety-one. I guess the early nineties at St Patrick's Cathedral. Soon thereafter, she gave birth to a son, Thomas Zizzo Jr. After the couple divorced in nineteen ninety-six, she relocated to Los Angeles to pursue her dream of becoming a singer. She's twenty. 25 at this point so okay uh, it's not too late but like a lot of people who make it in la especially around this point in the 90s were quite a bit younger and had probably been professionally trained from a much younger age so but it's not and it's not uncommon for people to break through late in life you know there's plenty of other people around about this time had so that that makes sense um, in January 1998, while working as a waitress, she was working as a waitress in the <laughs> cocktail bar um, in L.A. She met Thomas Girardi, who was 31 years her senior. I'll never stop saying yeah, that. And that Richard so and King weird. Solomon himself at this point. Uh, they they met. Their, their, their eyes met across the bar. And she was like, who the fuck is this old bastard wearing Gucci clothing? And they're like, oh, he's one of the richest people in California. She's like, I love him. Um, they married 18 months later and moved into a massive 1920s era mansion in Pasadena, California, which was worth around $15 million. So big money. Um, yeah, And no that's kidding. like, I mean, again, like late 90s, we, uh, people think about like a $15 million mansion. Like, I, I guess the guy who created Minecraft is living in a one billion dollar mansion or some Good shit Lord. like that in LA now. You'd have to but, imagine if you're living in something like that, that yeah. it would be like being on vacation all the time. Yeah. And the, the thing cost is, though, to keep it clean. Yeah. For the love uh, of the, God, man. The cost to keep it lit, <laughs> the keep the uh, the lights on, fucking water running. And right. apparently he's bored because since he left um Mojang, he's basically just taken up to Twitter trolling. So you know, at least I have an excuse. I'm not a billionaire. Uh, anyway, so they moved into this $15 million mansion in Pasadena, California, which in the late 90s, I guess, translates to about probably double that these days. I'd imagine a $30 million mansion, probably more, actually, in Pasadena. So yeah. It's probably it's, quite yeah, it's God, the prices in California are so Crazy. all over the damn place. And I, I know all over the of, high place, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Um, a couple, one of whom is an editor and the other person who is a, she works um, backstage, kind of, uh, I don't know what they're called, like set dressers, I guess, uh, okay. who is also an actor and a model. Um, they, they, they've been telling me for years, like, we have to get out of LA. If we can't, they've got two dogs. They, they just can't find it anywhere with a yard, with a bit of space uh, that isn't like $5,000 a month, which is just fucking yeah. insane. I was, you know, I was having that conversation with my wife Sandra about yeah. prices because she's like, or well, because here they're out of control, and I'm like, man, wow. you're in some bad neighborhoods in some sketch areas that I don't want to live in, in houses that aren't very nice at all, and it's four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I said that's crazy, and she's like, yeah, California got here, and I was like, yeah, it's not even like that in California. It's like a million dollars in Compton for a just a two falling down house it's yeah, ridiculous that's, that's fucking insane. and then you think that you can probably buy up streets in detroit for yeah like, go buy a factory like two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> something <laughs> like that there, there yeah. was a, a boom in in this country about 15 20 years ago when vast swathes of the north of the country 
the old um, like milling towns and stuff like that uh, on the outskirts of Manchester and Liverpool and the northeast and stuff, where you could buy entire rows of houses for like two thousand pounds, and they'd be two up, two down terrace. So you could buy an entire row of terrace for two thousand wow. pounds, and then people would do that. They'd like do a basic kind of upgrade of the things. They'd rent them out for like two hundred and fifty dollars a month, and they'd make an absolute killing. But yeah. you know those those days are long gone now. But I think I bought at the right time because holy shit, my house is uh, with the work we've done is nearly doubled in value. So you know, it's real estate is crazy. <laughs> but anyway, back to Pasadena, California. Um, I'd like to take you now onto um, I've forgotten a name. I've forgotten a bloody name. Where is it? Um, this uh, Erica Girardi. Erica Chahe, she's now Girardi. So, Erica, let me tell you about her music career. This is all taken from a paid-for and incredibly sycophantic article on NikkiSwift.com. Okay. When her son became a teenager, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star found the time to fully pursue her music career under her stage name, Erica Jane. In 2007, she released a debut hit with her first single, Roller Coaster, which went number one on the US Billboard Hot Dance Club Party chart. <laughs> I what feel the like they made up a chart for her. <laughs> like, they had to segment I, it down to get really it to number did. one. <laughs> That's like, uh, when I read, because like, when I was doing my research, Went number one on the US Billboard. I was like, oh, wow, that's a big fucking achievement. And then it kept on. Hot dance club party chart. Is that even a fucking thing? Or is that something <laughs> you created herself to go number one? Uh, it <sighs> feels it feels created. But I mean, they do segment it down so that you can that's, feel pretty good sometimes, I think. That's crazy. That's it's like, yeah, I'm an Amazon bestseller on the uh, cookery for Soon- uh, diabetic vegans charts or something, you know, by by people authored with the first name starting with R, yeah, and <laughs> surname beginning with X or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird, um, sub subcategorizing down, but I guess it's kind of an achievement. I just wonder how many singles she had to sell to get to number one in that chart. I would imagine it's not many. Fourteen and a half. Yeah, and also, sorry, I should say, how many copies of the single her husband had to buy to get her on that chart? Because that's a fucking thing. Uh, oh, I guess Cal that makes tactic. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Although Erica went into the dance pop direction with her own music, which was uh, entirely funded by her husband. She cites artists such as Prince, Madonna, and Michael Jackson as her musical influences, because of course she fucking does. Specifically, (laughs) the reality star says Prince had a profound impact on her sound. I've always loved the erotic quality of Prince. Why? I just think he's a musical genius. He is. And I've always admired everything that he's done. I don't admire everything. Some of that was shit. But, you know, the good stuff was amazing. So I'm a super fan of when he changed his name to a symbol. Yeah, that was fucking brilliant and wrote slave across <laughs> his face. That was just awesome. Was it good hand or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Since then, Erica has had this is still the same ridiculous Nikki Swift article. Since then, Erica has had several number one hits and has toured the world. In 2010, she started her own record label, Pretty Mess Records. In Erica's perspective, her musical empire is expressive of her desire to be authentic to herself. 
I started this project because I wanted to express myself and I wanted to say the things that I wanted to say and do the things that I wanted to do. That sentence said nothing, nothing <laughs> at all. I, I want I, to do things would have been more succinct. Right. And before that, instead of saying she's toured the world, they could have said she went on vacation. Yeah. And they could have said she left the country. You know, <laughs> she toured the world means she's been outside of states. Right. She went. Yeah. She went to British. Uh, no, excuse me. Yeah, British Columbia. Yeah, she went to <laughs> Niagara Falls and crossed the border. Uh, <laughs> Erica is living the dream as both a performer and an entrepreneur. Love to see it. No, you fucking don't, Nikki. Uh, <laughs> long before she joined season six of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Erica Jane foreshadowed that she would become a reality TV star during an interview with Edge Media Network in 2011. The entertainer revealed she'd considered being a, a, in reality TV. I just might be, but I don't know how much you could show of my life, she said. That's dodgy. Uh, mm. My life is quite entertaining. Clearly, she isn't lying. In 2015, <laughs> Erica joined the cast of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and instantly became one of the most stylish members of the show. Um, oh, as if that wasn't, as if that isn't a flex within itself. She appeared on Dancing with the Stars in 2017, and in 2019, she announced she was playing a Roxy Hart as she was playing Roxy Hart in Chicago, the musical on Broadway. Erica's passion for music has brought her a long way. And now she's part of reality TV history. Like her inaugural Reality Housewives of Beverly Hills tagline says, she is an enigma wrapped in a riddle and cash. Fuck this woman. <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> fucking hate that and article. Cash. I need a shower. I need a fucking shower after reading oh. that. See, uh, I was wondering where it all went wrong, and you had me at reality television. Yeah, reality television, fucking music career. Um, uh, it's also also worth noting that in 2015, she joined the cast of reality uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Some people call me cold, she says in the show's intro reel, but that's not ice, that's diamonds. Ugh. Is everyone on uh, these shows as hateable as that made her sound? Are yeah, they all... That's why, why yeah. do people watch it? I don't get it. I don't get it. This is why I, I hate watching. It's it's the Howard Stern effect, but with it pictures. <laughs> and, but Howard Stern was likable. Even the people that didn't like him were like, well, I get his appeal. He's he's kind of crude. It's you a know? little bit more like so, a train wreck. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know. Uh, his so before we get because like people were very complimentary of her music according to this article, but. Let me give you a review. And I, I scoured the fucking internet to find a review. This is why we started an hour late. I oh, tried man. to find reviews of her music. They are buried. I don't know if she sued to get them taken down. But I found one from allmusic.com from 2009, I think it is. Okay. So here's the review. Despite Erica Jane employing pedigree dance producers, Eric Cupper and Peter Raffleson, sure. Uh, pretty Mess never makes an impression. Its title is about as correct as it could be. Jane looks. Uh, Jane's looks are rather pretty, judging by the cover art and publicity photos. And the music is a messy mix of tepid house, faux scandalous come-ons, and alternately overly produced or demo quality vocal tracks. Oh, that's bad. That's a fuck it. That's the first paragraph. Um, the the album is at its worst when Jane teases about playing dress up 
asks if she can be your concubine and pleads to feel your love inside. Christ alive. <laughs> I need to listen to this album now. I don't <laughs> it sounds fucking hilarious. Yeah, um, it does. At least when Lords of Astid treaded this territory years before, there was a hint of fun. Here it reeks of desperation. <laughs> While every other song rips off Womanizer or, or funky dance club numbers. That's sad. Wow. Um, I, I guess, like, I mean, you know, you can argue about, you know, Oasis ripped off the Beatles and Rage Against the Machine ripped off Immigrant Song or whatever it might be. But like fucking Womanizer over and over again. Um, yeah, that's not even a good one. It's not even Britney's best. Um, at least the <laughs> funk is appealing on her cover of Apollonia's Sex Shooter, though her voice what? isn't up to the task of pulling the track together. Oh, no shit. Guest drummer, guest drummer, sorry, Sheila E. I guess okay. Sheila E. I thought you were going to fucking say Travis Barker. I was going to have a fucking hilarious. <laughs> that man will play drums on anything. Um, some nice tribal percussion on time to realize, but at this point it's too late. Prince probably won't be looking Jane up in the near future unless she and her handlers lose the desperate for love shtick that mires so many of these songs. Some of the closing tracks, more reminiscent of J-pop ballads, do suggest a sweet and delicate subtlety in Jane's delivery. I fucking doubt it, mate. But this only <laughs> makes the preceding numbers seem worse in comparison. Pretty Mess could soundtrack goofier dance clubs around the world, but it's not the kind of album that would usually find appeal beyond such a niche. That's that's, that's not brutal. a good review. She got one out of five for that review. At least she didn't get a minus number. But yeah, this Goodness. is I just want to point out her husband poured millions of dollars into her career and she got a one star review. So that makes sense. That yeah, she's like a less famous million. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'd be more successful. I feel like anyone will be successful if you gave like them a team and millions of dollars to publicize it. I, I would probably not go into music, but you I would certainly make an effort. Trying to fail, I know. And like her <sighs> shtick was like this kind of weird, overly sexualized kitsch. It's just it was kind of creepy. She was doing the sugar daddy shit thing it was just weird and that's like i guess that was what people thought of her anyway so she was playing up to it but jesus christ now that her career's flopped uh let's see uh why these two are on the list shall yes. we because at this point it's not entirely obvious there is a great article from lamag.com which is where i'm taking the majority of this next part from so thank you lamag.com you are amazing tom girardi practiced law in california for more than half a century um, in the wake of many of the state's most famous tragedies, the ghost ship fire, the Northridge earthquake, there was Girardi suing insurance companies and utilities and governments and even the Los Angeles Dodgers over the Brian Stowe beating. Holy shit. Damn. Um, he took on Lockheed, Dole, Shell, Ford, Merck, Pfizer, and most of the major Hollywood studios. Fuck me, this guy. Um, all these companies feared him for the vast network of influence, but also for his talent in the courtroom. He had a folksiness that juries lapped up. He had really great instincts on cases, says Graham Lipsmith, a lawyer at Girardi's firm, Girardi and Keith, for 13 years. He could look at a couple of pieces of paper and strike at the heart of what matters. 
Speaking to the Los Angeles Times in 1997, a San Francisco lawyer said Girardi can take a complex set of facts and reduce it to a totally understandable situation for a jury. He's not a great reader of legal books, but in front of a jury, he's dynamite. And actually, I think that's probably like 75% of what being a lawyer is, I'd imagine. Explaining complicated stuff in a reasonable way that a jury can understand and maybe being a little bit emotive with it as well. So, um, yeah. He's equally indomitable in meditation, where he could extract enormous settlements, as he did in the Hinckley case. Lots of times, insurance companies would settle with him on reputation alone because they didn't want to get ripped to pieces. That um, makes sense. That, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this guy has nope. won $10 billion. We will just settle for a few hundred million. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he socialized compulsively on golf courses and in steakhouses. He regularly threw lavish parties for the legal community with performers like Jay Leno and Sticks. Holy shit, that must have been expensive. Damn. Yeah, god yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah, you're starting to see the numbers tick up here. He was close bit. with lawyers and judges alike. It's starting to get a bit concerning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, there might be a little bit of corruption and some shady things happening, perhaps. Yeah, he's really ingratiated himself here. We surrounded himself with powerful people. Um, being a good lawyer has nothing to do with knowing the case of Map versus Ohio, Girardi told Modern Counsel in 2019. Really, it has to do with relationships. And so many lawyers have lost that idea of how important relationships are with your client, the judge, and the other side. I kind of think some of it has to do with being good at your job, Tom, but sure. You know, that's that makes sense. He's he's been successful, so who could argue with him? I wish more um, of it came from evidence. Exactly, yeah. Instead of emotion <laughs> and I'm just a folksy humble boy from <laughs> fucking Boulder, Colorado, but I know my stuff. It's like he's gone <laughs> foghorn leghorn for some reason. <laughs> At the heart of Girardi, the Girardi saga lies a mystery. Why did he steal money? from widows and orphans, from burn victims, from homeowners who lived in a to on toxic soil, and yes, from other lawyers. Was it premeditated? Was it a uh -oh. Ponzi scheme, as Edison alleges? What possesses a lawyer of his stature to do a thing like that? Girardi's second divorce, filed in 1998, stretched on for four years, nearly as long as the fucking marriage itself, thanks to Girardi's stalling tactics. The case Damn. file contains more than 10 thousand pages and includes snapshots of Girardi's life at the time. He and Kathy Risner lived in the same 10,000 square foot Pasadena mansion that Girardi lived in with Jane. He basically kicked this, this previous wife out. If anything, Tom was more extravagant in his choices for my clothing than I was, Risner wrote in a declaration. He would think nothing of paying as much as $5,000 for a dress for me to wear to one of the many bar functions, charity balls, or client dinners that we regularly attended. Jesus Christ. They travel constantly, and this is the late 80s, right? This Holy isn't... crap. $5,000 for a dress in the late 80s? You're buying the store. They travel yeah, constantly. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Maybe some houses in the late 80s, $5,000. <laughs> yeah. Fuck me. Right part of the country, yeah. They travel yeah. constantly on their private jets, plural, and ate uh, almost every night, uh, ate out almost every night in the finest West Side restaurants. A forensic accountant, Alfred Warsavsky, was hired by Risner to dig through Girardi's finances, and they were a mess. Personal expenses charged as business expenses. Millions of dollars shifted from account to account without explanation. 
Worst of all, Warzawski found that Girardi was dipping into his client's his client trust account, an escrow account for settlements to pass through on the way from the defendant to the plaintiff. A lawyer can use the money in the account to pay for fees, including his own, but by law, records must be kept. Withdrawing money from the trust account uh, for personal use is grounds for disbarment and even criminal prosecution, and he constantly did it. He was just skimming. He was skimming, and not just skimming, he was fucking digging it up and walking away with it. So these are, like again, they talk about burn victims, people who were poisoned, cancer survivors, children who were you know, rendered basically disabled by car cry, by car accidents. Yeah. He took money from them without telling them, without keeping records, and had absolutely no conscience about it. Um, the client trust accounts maintained by Girardi and Keese have been inadequate at best and abysmal at worst, Wasavsky wrote. Mr. Girardi used the client trust account of Girardi and Keese to purchase personal assets during marriage. Girardi also wrote checks to himself from the client trust account, one check was for $9 million. How did nobody spot this? What? $9 million. Well, you got a report over, like, well, I guess if you're writing it to yourself. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. California. He knows famous people. He knows powerful he, people. And this is still 90s, 80s? This is ish. 90s now. Yeah. This oh. is, so they, they were divorced in the early 90s. But he, at some point in the early 90s, late 80s, wrote himself a check for $9 million from a client's account. Which is oh my just God. fucking insane. I know. He had no conscience uh, about money, says Wally Shaw, an outside accountant who did work for Girardi and Keese throughout the 1990s. He just spent money whenever he thought about it. He had no clue as far as investments. Every single investment I saw him make didn't work out. That's fucking appalling. Uh, Shaw adds, back in the 90s, he had all these class action lawsuits bringing in bazillions of dollars. He had an <laughs> unlimited income at that point, it seemed. There was just no end to it. Erica Jane met Girardi at Chasen's. He was a regular. She was a cocktail waitress. I told you that song worked. Um, <laughs> she, she slipped. This is the weirdest like sequence of dating I've ever seen. She slipped Girardi her number, which happens like Holy shit, a guy 31 years older gets slipped a woman's number? You better bet they're using that. His secretary right. called her the next day to schedule a date. His secretary called her the next day to schedule a date. I felt I needed to say That's that twice. weird. Yeah. Jane told the secretary to have Girardi call himself. He obliged. Good. Right? <laughs> it's like the guy she that pulls up and just fucking honks. Come yeah, on now. What the fuck? Come on, on lady. <laughs> she made him woo her you know, good for her the lazy rich old bastard uh, that's according to her book pretty mess what really happened is anyone's guess apparently so she probably made that shit up a few months later Jane moved into Girardi's Pasadena mansion six months after that he proposed so he you know set up a love nest I guess uh, listen Girardi told her after their engagement according to pretty mess I'll buy you anything you want I don't care what it is you name it but I'm not wearing a fucking wedding band. I never have. I never will. Those were the terms of the marriage. That's that's where he drew the line, huh? Yeah. I will steal <laughs> money from crippled orphans, but I will not put on a fucking wedding ring. Damn. Weird. There was Maybe no he's... prenup, which yeah. is kind of interesting because I guess he didn't give a shit about money. Uh, they were married in January 2000. Uh, there's so much suspiciousness about this predictably jane soon grew bored she wrote all these things you could have in life when you're 35 a beautiful home 
a black Amex and a Gulfstream. She had a fucking Gulfstream. Oh, Jesus. man. It should have been enough, she writes, but it wasn't. I had never realized my own dream. And uh, the dream, of course, was to be a singer. And it was well within Girardi's means to arrange for that. And so he did. He hired a producer who'd co-written songs for Madonna and Britney Spears. Jane then created the persona Erica Jane, an archetypal, sexy, foul-mouthed sugar baby. Money yeah. makes me hard and tight. I love to bathe in cash and pearls. She sang in her first single, Roller Coaster. Collagen, yeah, collagen. Ain't signing no checks. She sang in How Many Fucks, which is a great, terrible name for a what? song. It's called How Many Fucks? Question mark. How many fucks? Um, <laughs> <laughs> in the music video for Expensive. Now, I have to spell this for you. X-X. Yeah, two X's. X-X. P-E-N-S dollar sign V-E. So... That expensive. sounds a lot like the way Diane words spelled yeah. the that my favorite song about pretty much rubbing yeah. one's penis on expensive shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I feel like that's um that might be what um what Elon Musk's child's called, or at least the second child would be called. Um, it's, she <laughs> it's the name of uh, Bezos's penis rocket. Yes. It is. His, his penis rocket is called expensive with a dollar sign and two X's. Um, she rolled around in cash. Uh, sorry, in the music video expensive, she rolled around in cash singing, it's expensive to be me looking this good. Don't come for free. Fuck me. Uh, Jesus. Look out, Dylan. Um, I like the fact that it's named expensive, Girardi later said. It kind of suits you. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, that was said in front of cameras filming Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. The Girardis joined the cast in 2015, despite the fact that they lived in Pasadena. A good 45 minutes out of the titular city. So <laughs> if you're not in Beverly Hills, you might like drive through it when you're on your way to buy a fucking, I don't know, yacht or another plane. We'll but fix it in geez. post. You know, yeah, it'll be, be fine. There. We'll make it look like you're in Beverly Hills, even though you're in Pasadena. I remember watching the first couple of episodes, said attorney Brian Kubatek. She ends up talking about the fact they have two planes, one for short distances and one for long distances, one for the week and one for Sunday best. I remember thinking, don't flaunt your wealth. We represent people who are victimized by big business and powerful people. You want to be David fighting Goliath. You don't want to be Goliath. Good fucking advice yeah. right there from that man. On September 9th, 2010, an undercover, uh, sorry, an underground PG&E gas line erupted in San Bruno, a suburb just west of San Francisco International Airport. There was a massive explosion leaving behind a 26-foot crater. 38 homes were destroyed and eight people were killed, including 20-year-old Jessica Morales, who was sitting on the couch watching the first game of the NFL season with her boyfriend, Joseph uh, Rugomez. Who managed to escape but suffered burns on ninety percent of his body? That is horrific! Ouch. Holy Ouch. shit! And these are the people he stole from. Oh. Um, his mother, Kathy Rigamo, Rugamos, Rugomez, sorry, hired Girardi, who by then had a stellar track record of extracting money from PG&E. Yeah, he did. <laughs> After months of mediation, he reached a settlement without consulting her. When Mrs. Rugomez asked Girardi what the amount was, he was vague. It could potentially be hundreds of millions, she recalls him saying, but he never told her how much they would be getting. 
From the beginning, he was trying to make it unclear what we had, Mrs. Rue Gomez says. It was definitely premeditated. The shell game went on for years. Payments would come at random intervals for seemingly random amounts. Eventually, they stopped. Girardi told uh, Mrs. Rue Gomez that the money was invested and that she had been getting a 6% return. That definitely sounds like a Ponzi scheme. But bit. she never saw any paperwork. Yeah. So, it just that's... magically was invested in my yeah. second without, jet. Yeah, without signing any documents, he invested the money for her. Um, she never knew the full amount. She would call Girardi. Girardi wouldn't call back. Or he'd call her ex-husband. Or he'd call back and ask, can you send me the calculations about what I owe? And then he wouldn't respond. Finally, in 2019, the family sued. Good. In September 2020, Girardi was uh, deposed by the family's lawyer, Thomas Brazen. For the first time, Girardi admitted he was broke. So, I know. Um, At one point, he said, I had about 80, 80 million or 50 million in cash. That's all gone. I also had a stock portfolio of about 50 million and that's all gone. The deposition was private, but not for long. How do you not know whether you have 80 million in cash or 50 million in cash? You'd think you'd know the difference between those large sums of money, right? I mean, unless you're Pablo Escobar, I would imagine. I know. And like Pablo could be like, there's probably some buried out there somewhere. This guy just doesn't know. He's not hiding it. He's got it and stealing it, but he doesn't know how much it is. So ridiculous. I I don't get it. Jane filed for divorce on election day 2020 after 21 years of marriage (laughs) a month later uh on social media she accused gerardi of having an affair with an an appellate apple appellate court judge trisha a bigelow the post was quickly deleted but not before the tabloids picked up the story bigelow denied everything and didn't reply to any interview requests back in chicago jay edelson read about the divorce he told his staff I think this guy is out of money. Yeah, you fucking think. Uh, (laughs) She's fled. There's definitely no money left. Edelson filed his complaint against Girardi a month later in Chicago, alleging Girardi and his firm were on the verge of financial collapse and locked in a downward spiral of mounting debts and dwindling funds. I should point out Jay Edelson was um, another lawyer who worked on a case and never got paid. He was owed something like uh, three quarters of a million dollars. Oh, my God. I know. And this is a guy who probably relies on that to pay his mortgage and his bills and his, his people. So, you know, that's, that's not good. Oh. Unlike previous complaints against Girardi, this one was written in stark, dramatic language, sure to attract the attention of the news media, which had largely ignored the many accolades, allegations, there it is, leveled against <laughs> him. Tom and Erica must pr- uh, project a public image of obscene wealth at all times. And at whatever the cost, the complaint read, it accused Girardi of embezzling the proceeds of settlements that should have been directed to his clients, including the widows and orphans who lost loved ones in the tragic crash of Lion Air Flight 610 in order to continue funding his and Erica's lavish Beverly Hills lifestyles. That's Pasadena lifestyles, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Beverly Hills North. Beverly Hills North, yeah. Suburb of. Uh, it even accused their divorce of being a sham attempt to fraudulently protect Tom and Erica's money from those that seek to collect on debts owed by Tom and his law firm. So since that article, uh, more stuff has come out about Erica because she owes money all over town, all over L.A. to car Uh-oh. dealerships 
and jewelers and a fucking luxury laundromat, which what the fuck is that? I know. What is that? <laughs> what is a luxury laundromat? Do they like talk to your clothes and massage them? I, I don't know. Anyway, she owes two hundred fifty thousand to those three alone. So oh my God. I know that's a lot of laundry, man. That's a fuckload of laundry, <laughs> uh, and and surprisingly not enough laundering, which is probably why they found themselves <laughs> in this mess. Uh, uh, yeah, dad jokes. Uh, Tom Girardi has claimed that he believes a strange wife, Erica Jane, did know about his embezzlement scandal. It's lovely that he's admitted to that, uh, despite her previous denying any wrongdoing. The 82-year-old disbarred lawyer was recently seen leaving a lunch at an upscale restaurant in Los Angeles with some friends when he was asked about the involvement of his 50-year-old real housewife of Beverly Hills star X. Fuck me, that was a long word jumble. <laughs> uh, a cameraman asked Tom via page six, who once had an estimated fortune of $264 million about Jane. And uh, as he said, did Erica know anything? Everyone wants to know. Tom, who has endured bankruptcy woes, allegations of embezzlement, and ailing health. So he's now living in a retirement community. He has apparently got dementia. but oh. And I don't want to make light of that, but there is a part of me, given that he's the allegations that he's trying to avoid right. paying out, that maybe it's another way of saying, oh, he's unfit to stand trial. He can't have the money, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to say, but it's How kind of convenient so he's 82 so yeah. like it's within the realms of possibility right so i Whether don't want to say he gets in but... trouble he's gonna have a shitty few 10 years or so yeah exactly um <laughs> so stood um ailing health so tom when he was asked this by the cameraman he stood quietly for a few seconds before one of his friends tried intervening and eventually convinced him to keep walking so he was gonna he was gonna spill the beans in front of this he fell asleep tap. Yeah, nope. and he was like, yeah, he did. He literally <laughs> fell asleep on the spot. Jane has repeatedly de uh, denied any knowledge of wrongdoing, but fellow Housewife stars have reportedly said they were aware of the scandal. Camille Grammer, I guess that's Kelsey's ex, claimed she had heard of her and Girardi's financial difficulties. Andy Cohen's 2019 baby shower, page six reported. Fellow reality star, Star Bethany Frankel said Girardi's woes were the worst kept secret in LA, claiming he owed her late ex boyfriend Dennis Shields $500,000. Jesus Christ, what was she doing? Wow. Um, that's a shitload of money to yeah, all your Frankel ex. Frankel sounds familiar. Oh, never mind. Oh, geez, yeah, yeah, I, I know just, who you're thinking of now. No, I was just thinking she's she donated a bunch of stuff to Ukraine. She was all over oh, Euro News for uh, shifting her cosmetic company or something to yeah sorry good for her yeah but yeah She's... originally i thought it was the senator Joseph. from oh uh minnesota yeah. that used to be on snl yes Frankin. oh god yeah i know i know the guy <laughs> sorry. um no, no no it's okay um but yeah that's good for her good for her trying to help out the ukraine from 2008 to 2020 jane allegedly spent holy shit $14,259,012.84 on her American Express card. What the fuck, American Express? Can I have was, one of those? It was really yeah. the $12.84 that put it uh, over. Yeah, that's, that's like, yeah, she's like, oh, God, I really <laughs> want this fucking hero sandwich, but I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, um, and $1,417,587.50 
on unknown purchases as well as $1,532,774.88 on an agency for dancers and choreographers, the McDonald Selznick Associates Agency, uh, which will be for her shit music career. A company uh-huh. reportedly paid $102,596.77 to Kim Kardashian's former executive assistant, Stephanie Shepard. EJ Global reportedly paid 17415 to Opus Beauty, a management comp- uh, agency that represents makeup artists, stylists, and costume designers, and $1,000 to influential artist Mario Dedivanovic, or something like that. Jane, Jane, uh, Jane has said in an episode of you know, Real Housewives that aired last month that the family members of the victims of the Indonesian plane crash owed their money, but that she did not know how Girardi, she did not know Girardi had given her twenty million dollars in loans from his law firm. How do you not know that? How do people not know that they're getting? How do rich people lose track of all this money? I mean, I, I, clearly they don't. They know what they're doing, but fuck me. I would hope. If they're just wandering around as clueless as my dumb ass, this, that's ridiculous, and I deserve uh, yeah. to be rich then. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, <laughs> I, I keep a really tight grip on my finances, so if I see that $100 or £100 is missing, I'm like, where is this fucking money? And I go out like Colombo to find where it's fucking gone. <laughs> right. Um, you know, every fucking penny counts when you don't have $8 million to spend on fucking, you know, really oh, yeah. insane dry cleaning bills. Um, Jane has uh, so in July a judge ruled that Jane uh, may have to pay three other clients um, of Girardi that he allegedly embezzled 11 million dollars from out of her own pocket it seems oh, fair man. I mean yeah it does you benefited from money that wasn't yours and you're still rich you don't get to still keep yeah. being comfortable you prick exactly and like he's living in a care home at this point he's 82 he's not well just sell the fucking house, right? Give it to these families. Give some of it to them, at least. The same month, a former couple, oh, here we go, slashed the price of their Pasadena home from $13 million to $9.98 million. So they're, like, trying to stiff people. They're trying to get out with, you know, as much as they can, really. In June, Jane had been ordered to turn over financial records from her accountant, lawyer, and landlord as part of the embezzlement investigation and a bankruptcy trustee. Uh, is documenting the couple's assets. It's been alleged that the split provided a way for the couple to embezzle funds and that Jane had received tens of millions of dollars from her husband's uh, firm to fund her projects, as Weekly reported in June. Meanwhile, an investigator in the bankruptcy trial of Tom and Erica says he wants to take into account inconsistency inconsistent statements the reality star has made on real housewives of beverly hills investigator ronald richards told us weekly this month there's a lot of inconsistent statements and admissions made by the non-scripted actors that we're putting together to use in court asked whether the attorney has uh, seen a lot of inconsistencies within the story being told on that show in regards to erica and tom's lawsuit and financial woes Richard said, that's correct. Richard then added that his team is going to take a discovery from people that used to work with her. Um, and that ends the, currently the tale of the Girardis, Erica and Tom. Tom is not really doing so great. Erica is probably running for the hills north of Pasadena now. <laughs> what, How old is she now? She's 50. Okay. So, um, yeah, and he's 82. So... You know, there you go. Um, I, I met they may even be older because those articles were 
a lot of those articles from 2021. So, you know, they they may have aged up again. But as far as I know, that's where we're at. There are multiple lawsuits going out against the Girardis, especially Tom, but also including his wife, who has, you know, clearly benefited from his embezzlement scandal over the years. And... See, she's pleading ignorance, but I there's definitely no there's got it. She's got to know something, right? I mean, come on, millions, tens of millions of dollars. It's just it's crazy. So, what do you I, make of the Girardis, our first ever couple on History's Greatest Idiots? Well, first off, I've got to say that uh, this yeah. totally changes the way that I watch Aaron Brockovich. Yes, uh, it does. And now no, you're like, oh, he's a scumbag. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was really nice what he did for those people, but it would have been nicer if you'd have gave him the damn money. Exactly. Like, how much did they actually get of that three hundred thirty-three million? That's yeah. yeah, that's just nuts. And then, ugh, reality TV stars and like force it upon the world musicians. Like, (laughs) oh, she ain't no musician. She is. She's not even a singer. She is a performer. Let's say a performer. (laughs) There you go. A go go a go go dancer. A go go dancer. Yeah, from the nineties. Um, yeah. She, yeah, she did, she's going to do a collab with that lady that did that Friday song. Oh, um, Rebecca Black. She's <laughs> yeah. actually, you know what? She's she's like in a she's uh, there was the a R-H. documentary about her last year. She's like now in her twenties. She's oh, um, I think she came out maybe a couple of years ago or something like that, and she's actually trying to do reasonable music now. And I think I heard like a blast of it, and I'm like, this is okay. Whereas Friday was obviously like this kid wanted to sing. The lyrics were so bad. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But like, I feel like she has been somewhat redeemed, whereas there ain't no way this woman's getting redeemed. No. You don't spend millions of dollars on it and still fail and get to even claim to be a a musician or performer. (laughs) I know. It it reminds me a little bit of uh, the fake band that toured Europe and uh, the lead singer just threatened Threatened. and left his fucking band behind in Europe. Uh, It's like that. I mean, at least he was a musician. You know, he's a liar as well, but he was a musician. Whereas this woman, she wanted to be something, but she had nobody telling her, look, you just can't do this. You don't have the talent for it. So move on with your life. God, even the one, even if she say she doesn't have talent, if she has somebody there that just guides her and doesn't yes man her too, she might be better. I know. I bet you actually, she didn't want to hear nothing from her producers. Yeah, I, I probably, yeah. I, I like, I, I think that there's an element of being surrounded by yes men in a lot of this situation. Like, I mean, Paris Hilton released awful music, right? But she's <laughs> kind of like 10, 15 years later, we're now at a stage where people are like, yeah, Paris Hilton's not awful as a human being anymore. She's like trying to change her life and stuff and you know she's been a reasonably successful businesswoman on her own back she's learned a lot but like i i don't see that happening with this this woman either again there's no leaning into it it. yeah she's just she's she's got to the point where she's like i'm she was an awful musician she lent into it it failed and then she became the subject of a massive lawsuit after her terrible appearance on a, a reality tv show so like it's just down and down, right? There yeah. is no comeback from that point. So, in terms of scoring, what do you give the Girardis? Well, just because I absolutely despise thieves and yeah. especially stealing from like less fortunate for fuck's sake. Oh yeah, um, and, like people who were impacted by terrible situations. They, that's it, right? Your life is 
going to be significantly worse as a result of that. It should be an easy road after that, right? You deserve the easy life well, after even think, horrific situations. Some of that's probably going to go to medical bills and whatnot that they've debt they've actually acquired. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you're stealing the money they're supposed to use to pay the doctors. Dick. I know. It's um, awful. But because old people in prison make me sad they do yeah it it um, is sad um and also as awful as all of this is and it is awful they weren't involved in genocide like the hyena of auschwitz so right you know so i'm gonna still go high but i'm, mm. I'm gonna put it like like an 88 88 feels good yeah 88 feels feels about right because 89 because they were involved with reality television in that. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a fucking extra point. God. <laughs> uh, I nearly forgot. But yeah, it's like, I mean, we it, it might have people questioning, you know, why? Why would it be high? Th this guy has stolen hundreds of millions of dollars from people, needy, needy people that, you know, were put in that position through no fault of their own. They deserved that money they deserved a, a calm quiet life and he had absolutely no issues stealing all that money and had absolutely no um conscience about it whatsoever he doesn't regret it and at he had all all the opportunity to do so much good yeah like he was a talented good lawyer that man just sucked as a person i guess so i can't understand why some people um who he was earning a very good living as a lawyer, right? He was earning millions of dollars. So we're not talking... He didn't need to steal this money to maintain his life. So if he'd just been sensible and maybe made smart investments in real estate or whatever, because if he'd invested... Oh, my God. If he'd invested in his money in California real estate in the early 90s, he oh, would yeah. have been a many times over multi-millionaire by now. Many, many times. So... Oh. I have like a weird feeling that his investments involved pushing a button and watching some reels spin mm. with the, the way he lost stuff. <laughs> he did not make any <laughs> decent investments. So he was a good lawyer, but a terrible businessman. Yeah. So um, it's just really sad. Um, and actually, I don't understand why people who end up stealing like this, and there are so many stories like it, they don't understand that they have an ability with the promises and the success they've had to go down in history as a really amazing person. Yet all they do is go the completely opposite direction. It wouldn't take much for this guy to have gone down in history as a good person. Win these cases, live within your means, which are pretty good, and make some sensible investments in real estate or long-term, slow-yield, low-yield investments, right? It's, right. it's actually not that hard. If you have the money and you're very cautious with it, you will make money. It's that simple. Oh, yeah. yep. So... It's really, really sad that this happened, but I think 88 is fair, especially since there's two of them. So, yeah, and the, the fucking lyrics that woman was coming up 89. with. 89. Reality 89. TV. Sorry, yeah, reality <laughs> TV show, plus all those awful lyrics and terrible reviews. So there oh we go. That's, the, uh, that's Tom and Erica Girardi, the uh, worst couple in... I, I almost said Hollywood. They're not in Hollywood. That's Pasadena. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and the hyena of Auschwitz, who was responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of people, a really, really horrible, horrible human being. So um, it's it's been a while coming, this episode. Um, I know it was a little bit difficult for you at times, but um, did you find the process of 
learning about the Girardis and researching for this episode interesting, at least. Yes. Yeah. Actually, um, this show prep and, and article thing was the first thing I was able to like crank out and write mm. as like a writer in the last like two weeks. I've been sure. kind of taking the events going on yeah. poorly and I've just been sad thinking about how much people yeah. suck and how easy it would be to just be better. <laughs> I know. I know. And and this is, um, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this show is there are modern life, David Bowie, uh, there are a lot of pressures and stresses around us, right? And especially as you get older, you have responsibilities and stuff, and you, you have to manage those responsibilities and work and family life and all that. Um, and it's very difficult at the moment because we have seen an extreme slide in the last few years, and we're, we're still living in the post-9-11 world where there's a lot of division and anger. Um, okay. And that can all get very, very sad and depressing. So... A lot of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is to talk about terrible things that have happened in the past and the lessons that people can learn from them, but also laugh at them because you can't give in to ultimate sadness uh, right. because it can be a really poisonous thing. Oh, yeah, know. it can. And yeah. I, man, I wandered doing being the person that I am. I like to read all news sources as much as I can, biased yeah. and unbiased, and then measure them against yeah. each other. Yeah, I wandered into TASS and Sputnik and Russia Today, mm. and I'm like, what the f is wrong with these people? <laughs> I know. Uh, we talk about state-controlled media, and, you know, there's elements of that. You know, every media outlet has an agenda, right? So whether it's owned by Rupert Murdoch or the fucking state itself. So um, ultimately, it's difficult, but I, I think staying in the cycle of news consistently especially when there's a war going on is damaging ultimately mm -hmm. to your um your feeling obviously be aware of what's going on in the world around you help in the way you can i've donated to two separate charities to do with uh like cri uh, crisis relief in the ukraine that's great do those things well there's know? a fun thing right now going on where you can book uh airbnbs in kiev uh kiev yeah. To get the money. You're not actually obviously going to no, the vacation not. there, but yeah. people are renting out their, their stuff to make money while they're refugees and uh, fleeing to pay for. So people can go on Airbnb and uh, book a uh, stay at various houses in Kiev mm. in the Ukraine. And, and that money up. goes, yeah. yeah, that money goes to the, the families that uh, own, own those places or need the money while they're trying to stay going. Absolutely. And I, I'd encourage anyone to look into, there was a an amnesty uh, appeal. There was a thing I gave money to uh, a group of people in Spain are housing single women and single mothers and young women who are fleeing the war zone because sometimes they don't always make it across if they're not part of a family unit. There's weirdness going on with that and stuff. And it, it can be very difficult for single mothers fleeing uh, a combat zone, far more so if they don't have a, you know, a male companion or a bunch of people around them and having to look after the kids and stuff. So give money where you can to the reliable sources, but um, it's also important for your own well-being. And this is just as important to not let yourself get sucked into the depression and anxiety that being part of a war can cause. You know, I, my grandmother lived through the second world war when she was uh, a young woman and her teenage years, and she never wants to talk about it. And when she does, 
they're some of the most disturbing stories you can ever hear because she grew up in Manchester and she was bombed by the Luftwaffe, you know, in in her bunker. And she heard she went to the top of a hill with her father a morning after a massive air raid on Manchester and asked and she saw Manchester on fire, the city of Manchester. And she said, Daddy, is this the end of the world? And he said, no, darling, that's just Manchester burning to the ground. She only told me that story once. It stuck with me for the rest of my life. And she never wants to talk about the war, and rightly so. You go through the horrors of that situation, and it's it's a terrible thing, but I've never met someone who smiled as much in my life as my grandmother, and she's been through some terrible shit. So please do not let the stress and the anxiety, the um, wars and other elements of life get on top of you. The point of this podcast and other podcasts is to relax and wind, find joy in moments of life where you may not be able to find them in the moment. So try and uh, relieve stress how you can and just look after yourselves. Don't let the stress get you down. But I think that's probably it for this episode. Um, Until the next episode, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been fun. We'll see you next time. It has been fun, and we will see you again soon. Take care now. Bye.